And we're in this uh, series on forgotten virtues. And uh, you've heard me say that, um, you know, being a virtuous person or expecting a virtuous person to be, uh, see somebody who's a virtuous person isn't something that's really high on our radar. In fact, I think most of us culturally, we, we've kind of lost sight of virtues. And, and when someone does something virtuous uh, near us or, or in our uh, presence, it, it surprises us. Like they do something nice. It's like, wow, that was a nice thing to do, wasn't it? Well, we've been um, uh, journeying in these forgotten virtues, and the whole point is, is I'm, I'm trying to get us to a point to where we don't forget them, that they're not forgotten virtues, but they're virtues of our daily life, and they're virtues that capture who we are. Um, if you've missed our, our past forgotten virtues, let me encourage you to either go on our St. Paul app or back to our uh, website, and there you can see and click on where it says messages, and you can see any of the messages that we've had. In fact, many of you say that you like the fact that we uh, put our messages in, uh, on the website and on the app so that you can go back from time to time and study and, and revisit um, that and, and, and also uh, recapture some things for your life. Well, this morning's forgotten virtue is the virtue of loyalty. Now, loyalty is probably the, uh, one of the most important virtues that I think that we can have. The word loyalty says a lot. Would you say that word, loyalty? loyalty. You know, just think about what does loyalty mean to you? I did a little uh, definition search this week, and here's the definition I came up with. Loyalty means uh, to, to wholly or fully trust and believe in and also permanently be unpermanently, unwaveringly faithful. So loyalty isn't something we're to take lightly. Loyalty is supposed to be a part of our core, the core of who we are, and that we demonstrate loyalty in that we're not willing to easily let something go because of a disappointment or a disagreement, but loyalty says that, that I am unwaveringly faithful to that which I am committed to. So let me show a, a show of hands this morning. How many of you feel that, that loyalty is something that our culture doesn't display a whole lot of these days? Just raise your hands. I'd like to kind of get a little summary here. Okay. All right, good. So about uh, three-fourths of the room. So now by show of hands also, how many of you feel that you are a loyal person? Raise your hand. Okay, this is interesting. The whole room raised their hand with that. No, and, and I'm just trying to show a little point. So, so, so we all feel that we're loyal people, but yet we also say that our culture isn't very loyal. And that's kind of the rub of where I want to go today, because I think it's really important that we have an understanding of, of what that tension is and where we want to go. Here's the first thing I want to lead us to today, and that is that disloyalty, disloyalty is difficult to see in the mirror. When we are disloyal, it's very difficult for us to see this happening in the mirror. We don't really see it of ourselves. We are loyal to ourselves. I mean, let's just kind of put that out there. Let's just be honest today. That, that we are loyal to ourselves and that we will do whatever is necessary to take care of us. And then if it, and we see people with needs around us, we, we may or may not deal with that. But disloyalty means that, that we take care of us. Let me give you an example. Let's say that there is a mean, hungry grizzly bear chasing me, and I'm running from it because it wants to eat me. How fast do I have to run? Just faster than you, okay? So I just have to run faster than you in order to not be there. So I want to take care of myself versus anything else. Well, here's one for the scriptures. So if we were to think about someone in the scriptures who said that they were extremely loyal to Jesus, 
What is maybe the first name that comes into your mind? Peter. There you go. Peter. Peter is the one who said that he was loyal. Peter was one of the first apostles called by Jesus. Peter was one who experienced a miracle by walking on water. Peter went with James and John to the Mount of Transfiguration and saw how God came and anointed Jesus in spirit and solidified the law and the prophecy in who Jesus was. So Peter was one who saw some pretty incredible things happen in the life of faith. Jesus is going through his passion at one point, and he's in the garden, and he's, he's o- overwhelmed by everything that's happening, knowing that this journey to the cross is coming. And all of a sudden, we find here in Matthew 26, and a very important dialogue that happens between Peter and, and Jesus and also the other disciples. Jesus looks at them, and he says this. He says, tonight, you will all fall away because of me. This is because it's written that I will hit the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will go off in all directions. So Jesus is saying to them, tonight your loyalty will be tested. I have called you. I have poured into you. I have given you everything as a reason of purpose for your life. And tonight, that loyalty that you proclaim to me and for me will not happen. In fact, you will scatter as fast as it can be. Now, Peter Peter interrupts Jesus in the middle of this, and if we read the text, and we read a little further there in Matthew 26, we find out that Peter's quite irritated at the Lord, and Peter is fighting at Jesus, and he's saying, there's no way I would ever abandon you. Even if all these other fools did it, Lord, I will, I'm golden. I'll be there for you no matter what. You can count on me. I will never abandon you. And Jesus looks right at Peter, and he says, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, Before this night, as it's beginning to end and that rooster crows, you, Peter, the one who says that you are so loyalty to me, even to the sign of death, you say that you would die first, Peter, you will deny me on this very night. We began to find out a lot happens, and if you know the story, you find out that through the night they arrest Jesus, they take him, they put him on a mock trial, and Peter is kind of hanging around in the periphery, and three different occasions on that night, An individual or individuals bump into Peter, and they recognize him as someone who is a Jesus follower. And they ask, aren't you a a person of Jesus? No, I'm not. Aren't you one of his followers? No, I'm not. I've seen you with Jesus. No, you haven't. I don't know the man. And then the rooster crows. And Peter realizes that Jesus knows that he has been disloyal. You see, we look out for ourselves We want to think we're the best it can be. We want to think that we're loyal beyond all things. And yet sometimes we can't see our disloyalty in the mirror before us. Here's the second thing about loyalty. True loyalty is proven. It's never proclaimed. It's one thing to go up to somebody and say, I'm going to be loyal to you, which isn't something we normally do. It's not like, don't tell me you're going to be loyal. Show me you're going to be loyal. And that's why true loyalty is proven and it's not proclaimed. You know, you can't say that because loyalty is something that is proven. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, everyone talks about how loyal and faithful he is, but just try to find someone who really is. So we all raise our hands and say we're loyal, but yet the scripture says, but maybe we're not as loyal as we think. Maybe there's something happening that changes or challenges our our loyalty. 
Let me use a sports analogy on, on loyalty. Um, back in the 1940s and, and 50s, there were some amazing things that were happening in our country. The civil rights movement had not happened yet, but we found a, an individual by the name of Jackie Robinson, the first black uh, baseball player to, to make his way into the major leagues. And Jackie Robinson began to break the race barrier in professional sports. And he's, he's playing on the Brooklyn Dodgers, and one of his best friends um, uh, was uh, Pee Wee Reese. And Jackie played second base, Pee Wee Reese played shortstop. And the two began to solidify their relationship together. But all of a sudden, there was some great tension that was happening between Jackie Robinson and the rest of the world. The rest of the world disliked him because the one thing that Jackie Robinson could not change was the color of his skin. They did not like the fact that he was black. And the fans began to boo him. The fans began to write the Brooklyn office saying, we're no longer going to pay to come to the games if you keep putting Jackie Robinson on the playing field. Well, in 1947, they were playing Cincinnati. They got out on the field, and it just turned into a horrible situation. The fans started booing and catcalling and calling um, racial slurs to Jackie Robinson, throwing things onto the field. And Pee Wee Reese, his best friend, on shortstop as Jackie was on second, Pee Wee Reese had had enough. He was one of the most respected players in professional baseball in that time. Pee Wee Reese threw down his glove, walked over, put his arm around Jackie Robinson at second base, looked at the crowd, and hugged him tight, and the whole stadium hushed. Loyalty won that day because he was willing to prove to his friend, he was willing to prove the point of his loyalty. Robinson would later say that that single act of loyalty not only saved his baseball career, but saved his life. And here's a picture, you've seen it on the screen, of a statue that was made to commemorate what happened that particular day. You see, loyalty is proven, it's not proclaimed. Even when it's hard, loyalty has to prevail. And when you think about um, loyalty prevailing, another person of Scripture comes to mind, and that's King David. King David, I mean, we think about David, we think, wow, this is a, a great person, a great leader, a man after God's own heart, he was often called. But you know what? David was a loser. David was a cheat. David was a liar. And especially in the relationship that we see between this great king of the scriptures and Uriah the Hittite. David, we find in 2 Samuel 11, is uh, staying at home, as the scripture says, that this was a season that all the other kings went off to war, but David decides to stay at home. So he sends all of his troops out to battle on his behalf, but yet he's just kind of lazing around the palace, just kind of doing his own thing. And we learn as we read the story of David that, that he's on his palace and, and, and he sees a woman named Bathsheba bathing, nude, nude bathing on, how else would you bathe? He, she's bathing on a rooftop. And I think about that, bathing on a rooftop, I mean, I don't think my homeowners association would approve that, but, but, but here he watches her and he sees her and he calls her to the palace and he has an affair with her and she becomes pregnant. Well, David, trying to cover up his sin, decides on this scheme. I'll just invite Uriah the Hittite, her husband, back from the battlefields, and I'll have him come back on some R&R and have him sleep with his wife. She'll be pregnant because it's my child, and he'll think it's his. So David conjures up this whole story, and he brings Uriah back. And Uriah comes back, and he's there before the king. And, and David says, you know, Uriah, you're doing such a great job for me you know, while you're away. Uh, you're, you're doing a great job. I just want you to come back, and I want you to just spend some R&R with your wife, Bathsheba. In fact, you know, why don't you just go stay with her in her room for the rest of these, this week or two, and then, uh, you know, you guys just, you know, 
get back together because you've been out in the battlefield for so long. And what we find out is when Uriah leaves that meeting with David, Uriah goes right outside the palace door, and there's where he camps. In fact, he pulls up all the things that he needs to actually sleep there. So he's there day in and day out sleeping at the palace door. David hears about this and comes out, and he's furious. Uriah, why aren't you at home? Why aren't you sleeping with your wife? Why aren't you enjoying this gift that I've given to you? And Uriah looks at the king, and he says, King, how can I do that? How can I go home and be with my family when your troops are out in the field fighting, and there's no one here guarding and protecting you? You're my king. My loyalty is to you. I will protect you. And we find out that David goes to another ploy, and he decides to get Uriah drunk, and he liquors him up, so to speak, and and Uriah comes back and stays back at his station where he was before, right outside of the king's door, and he won't leave. And David is thinking in his mind, this is not working out at all the way that I had planned. I've got to do something about this. So he sends Uriah back to the front lines with a letter to hand to his commander. And that letter says, put Uriah on the front lines, put him in the fiercest battle so that he will die and die quickly. And David was trying to take care of the problem. This story is so important about loyalty. It teaches us that you have somebody who is being loyal to another who was committing a sin against him, but yet he was loyal to the very end. Then you have somebody who who is raised to be seen as, as such a great person of history, such a great person of the scriptures. We find out his disloyalty to the man of which he had taken advantage let me, uh, let me switch gears for a second. Let me, let me kind of talk a little bit about um, disloyalty in kind of a sarcastic tone. And what I want to do with that is I want to kind of talk about disloyalty in a sense of, of ways in which you can think about how you and I and we have become disloyal in some ways. And I'm bringing these to our attention so that we won't fall into the trap of abiding into these, that we won't allow these to trip us up, so to speak, in the ways that we see ahead. Here's the first one. Three opportunities to be disloyal. The first one is be disloyal to your spouse. That's, that's, that's a huge disloyalty. And if you're going to commit a disloyalty, be disloyal to your spouse. If you want to be disloyal, begin there. You know, we find out that in our society that one out of two, maybe even more, uh, more than 50% now, of our marriages end in divorce. They end in divorce because of infidelity. They end in divorce because of abuse. They end in divorce because of a lot of things. But what, the reason why they end in divorce is because we tend to forget this loyal commitment, this loyal covenant that we make at the time of our marriage. To love, to honor, to cherish, to respect, to be devoted to. So sometimes in a marriage, one or even sometimes both partners forget about that, and it destroys marriages because we don't have a sense of loyalty in our lives anymore. Maybe we prove our disloyalty to our spouse when we fantasize or lust about someone else's spouse. Or we see a handsome man or a beautiful woman, and and we begin to think about, wow, what would it be like to, to be with that nice person, that handsome person, that beautiful person? So we show disloyalty to our spouses in, in those ways as well. The best way that we can move beyond that is to see that, that loyalty to our spouse is significant. Maybe you're a workaholic and, you're, and your work is your loyalty. Maybe you work so hard that you forget about your family. Maybe you've convinced yourself that you go home and you tell your wife or your husband or your children, I work hard all day long and I've got to work all those weekends so I can earn all this money so that I can give you all the things that you want 
and that you can enjoy them, but we'll never enjoy them together. Sometimes we're disloyal by putting ourselves into our work. Sometimes we're also disloyal because we begin to, to pursue those material things of the world, and we place that above everything else. What we need to remember is, especially when it comes to our spouses, is that we need to love our spouses above all earthly things, not heavenly things, but all earthly things. And we need to pour into our spouses very heavily. The second place that we can be disloyal in our lives is we can be disloyal with our friends. We can be disloyal with our friends. The Proverbs reminds us of this. It says, friends love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together in all kinds of troubles. So, so the way that we need to be loyal to our friends is not just see them as people that we use or abuse or, or people that we take advantage of, but that we see them as family, because families stick together in all things. One way to be disloyal to our friends is to gossip about them. Have you ever been a part of a, of a prayer chain or, or maybe you've been in a covenant group and someone has shared something in the, in the midst of that with people and sharing about some point in their life and you take it out of that context and you leave that sacred place and you begin to start sharing with others what that person has said. You go home and you say to your spouse or you say to another friend, I didn't know Fred and Wilma were having marital problems. Did you know that Fred was stealing money out of his parents' bank account? And Wilma caught that. Can you believe that they're having the kinds of trouble that they are? Here's another one. Sally told us that she's really struggling with mental health and, and that she's bipolar and, and she's not wanting to take her meds and, and, and she's really struggling with that. And, and did you know she was bipolar? Did you know that she was acting that way? I mean, we take these things and we gossip in the name of wanting to care. But we can be disloyal to our friends by speaking that way. Another way to be uh, disloyal to, to your friends or to your spouse is, is to not tell them the truth. How many of us, because we want to, to be liked by others, because we want to be accepted by others, I want to be in that group, and the only way I could be in that group is to never tell the truth, even when I see the ugly things happening. When I see my spouse or my friend or someone who's marching toward the rails of, of corruption or of uh, sexual desire or of temptation, I'm not going to speak up about it because, well, it's really not my business, it's really theirs. I'm going to wash my hands clean. That's the biggest way to be disloyal to your spouse and to your friends, by not getting involved. The other way we do that is when we're in crowds of people and we hear others talking about our friend who happens to not be there, and they're saying things about our friend that we know aren't true, but yet we just stay quiet because, well, I don't want to speak up. If I speak up, then they're not going to like me. You need to speak up. You need to shut it down. And you need to tell the truth. So these are some ways of where disloyalty comes into our lives. Paul says it this way. He says, brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like this with a spirit of gentleness. We're to approach one another in gentleness. We're to approach one another in care, in love, and in support and we're to help them understand the truth. Here's the final place where I think that we can be disloyal today, and that is disloyalty to the church. I see this happen a lot, and maybe you do too. 
And where this happens is, is it, it happens in, in ways that, that we think are innocent or we think that are ways that, that, well, it really doesn't matter or yet there's motive that's behind it. Either way, there are times that we can show disloyalty to the church. A lot of times they're, they're trivial things. We don't like the songs that are being sung. So we go to another church to hear them or, or we, we don't go into worship until later on when the songs are done because I don't like those songs anyway. We move furniture around or we bring things in. Oh, I don't like that, so I'm not going to be there. Or, or the pastor says something that, that, that maybe it just kind of pushes us a little bit and we don't like to be pushed. I'm going to hold back my tithe because, well, I don't like that. You see, we're, we, we find ourselves disloyal to the church for what can be insignificant things. They're not kingdom issues. I rarely have seen someone leave their church because of a disagreement in doctrine. But as a clergy person, I see people leave churches every day because there's something that they didn't like, like a hymn or a song or lighting or paint or whatever, that they go find another church. The scripture says that we need to be loyal to the, to the church. Importantly, we need to be loyal to our local church because this is the place that God has called us to gather. This is the place where God has said, come and be the church that I have called and created you to be. Sadly, we, we, we leave our churches in those instances. And as I look through the scriptures, I try to find where in the scriptures does it substantiate when we do these things to the church. And I'm always drawn back to Acts chapter 2. And when I read in Acts chapter 2, I, I explore and I see a lot of things. And I want to encourage you to go back to Acts chapter 2 and read that. And what we find out in Acts chapter 2 is, is that a lot of things were happening. Uh, we, we try to understand what's going on. But the things that we see is, it says in Acts chapter 2, when it comes to the church, that those who gathered were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the community, and they shared their meals and prayers. They were devoted to one another as they shared their property and possessions and distributed the proceeds to everyone who needed them. But here's something you probably don't know. In the Acts chapter 2 church, they had disagreements. They argued with one another. In fact, we know that, that there was a huge argument that was happening, and they went off to Jerusalem to, to ask the question, are we supposed to accept people who aren't Jews into this faith called Christianity, these non-believers called Gentiles? And there was argument that was going back and forth, and we know that Paul says, I called Peter out. I called Peter out on this. Peter was wrong. But nowhere do we read in the life of the early church that they got fed up with each other. They worked it out. They knew the greater goal. They knew the greater cause. They knew the mission of the church that was before them. Maybe I'm treading a little close today. Maybe, maybe this is one of those ouch moments. I don't know. But I, but I think it's important for us to talk about this. And this is why I believe that loyalty is a forgotten virtue. Because we find ourselves bouncing around place to place to place, showing no sense of loyalty to where we believe that we've been called. You see, I believe God wants us all to look honestly at ourselves. I, I think God wants us to look into our hearts. I think God is saying, look at yourself. Examine yourself. Loyalty, remember, is to, to wholly or fully trust and believe in all and, and to be permanently, unwaveringly faithful to those things. So God is asking us, is that you? 
Are you being fully trusting and wholly devoted and unwaveringly faithful to your spouse, to your friends, to your loved ones, to your Lord, to your church? The Lord is asking us these questions. I guess some today, we're going to leave here and they're going to say, you know, pastor's right. You're going to look your spouse in the eye and you're going to say, I haven't been loyal to you. I've kind of been belittling you or I've been calling you out in public or, or I've been kind of saying crude things or rude things to you saying, oh honey, it's just a joke, can't you take it? Maybe you need to go home and look your spouse in the eye and maybe you need to say from this day forward, I'm going to be loyal to you. Some of us have friends that we've, we haven't been loyal to. Some of us have friends that, that we haven't stood up for. We know that, that who they are is right, but yet everybody's saying they're wrong, but yet we won't stand up for that. Some of us have, have friends that we've said gossip about. Maybe it's time that we go to those friends and we look them in the eye and we say, you know, I betrayed you. I said I'd be your friend. I said I'd be unwavering. I said I would never, never err on anything. But you know what? I've fallen of that. I ask your forgiveness. I want to be the loyal friend that you've asked me to be. And I make that commitment today. Maybe, maybe you're a person who's been at the church, whatever church that might be. Maybe you've got one foot in the door, one out the door. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're bouncing around, this one, that one. Oh, it's the third Sunday. I guess I better go back to the church that I call my own because, you know, well, I need to do that. Maybe God is saying to you, ask yourself the question, where is your loyalty? How will you demonstrate that? How will you be the disciple that I've called you to be? You know, it's time. It's time to be loyal. It's time to be loyal to the Lord. It's time to be loyal to our loved ones. It's time to be loyal to our friends, our families. It's time to be loyal to the local church. Loyalty. Let's not let it be forgotten.